Welcome to Almost Professional, a pre-professional podcast, and part two of my interview with Brendan Rose. Enjoy! Another aspect I always kind of try to prepare students for when we talk about graduate school is the difference in the way they might relate to, not relate to, faculty members, right? Yeah. And obviously, again, my experience is more from a liberal arts background, and I imagine it's a little even more different in the MFA program, where I'm assuming, but you can tell me if I'm wrong, that a lot of the people are working professionals or have been working professionals or coming from not necessarily a purely academic background, but instead an engagement with the actual field and medium in some context. So, I mean, what was your experience with the faculty in this MFA program as compared to, for example, your experience as an undergrad in the liberal arts program? Yeah. Um, as Brendan said, in theory, most of your faculty in an arts program should be practitioners somehow. Mm -hmm. In film, that could mean a lot of things. That can mean they've worked in film development at a production company, it could mean that they are a writer who has commissioned and uh, had work picked up by Hollywood or uh, had independent films produced based on scripts they've written. It can mean being a director who dabbles in the indie world and maybe does commercials. It could mean being what's called a creative producer, someone who's sort of on set, mm. you know, in the trenches with the film director, but works on these sort of back end, just getting the setting up all the um, different uh, variables to get the movie made. Um, and so most of the faculty were doing, uh, were to some degree engaged professionally still, but there was sort of a, a core teaching faculty, mm -hmm. many of whom had put some of their professional responsibilities to the side and mm -hmm. devoted more of their energies toward teaching. Um, and then there were other people that were, that had movies premiering, in the theaters mm -hmm. and um, some of those professors were great some of them were completely mediocre teachers mm -hmm. so you um, I think one thing that happens in the film this film school world perhaps in other art forms is that schools to some degree are made or broken by the names attached as, as teaching faculty mm -hmm. and you know there's legitimacy to that but some of the biggest names were not always the strongest professors sure. um, and yet then there were occasional professors who had put all their professional work aside and you kind of got the sense in their class that they needed to re-engage with their own work sure, because some of the things they were telling you felt yeah. out of date mm -hmm. and um, retrograde. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's often the dilemma where like a, the most prestigious faculty at a given university or graduate program, there's a lot they have to do to maintain that prestige, right? Like right. they have right. to maintain right. an active profile as a, right. as a scholar or creative right. practitioner in the case of an MFA. Or they may also just, you know, have an ego as a result of it and not really want to be that bothered by dealing with yes. students. Like, there's, I guess, a positive and negative way to look at what might happen that would lead faculty to neglect their mentor responsibilities, yes. I guess. Um, but that, ha that happens a lot. And it's it, always a good thing to think about, particularly when students are attracted to a program because this particular professor works there and I love his scholarship, I love right, his work, I right. love his films. right. You may get there and maybe he says, okay, you can work with me, but that experience could not necessarily be what the student's looking for. Yeah, yeah. And and um, there were experiences both that I had and other people had where maybe a particular faculty member seemed to have a sensibility in terms of the type of films they made that was most similar to what that student wanted. Mm. But then the teacher-student relationship there wasn't as strong as that with a different faculty member who happened to have a very different sensibility. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think anyone who's trying to decide to go to film school or another form of art school don't only think that, oh, well, because they're doing things like what I do, I'm going to instantly connect with these people and, you know, 
be brought under their wing and mm-hmm. be trained, um, you may find that someone else becomes uh, much more significant to you while mm-hmm. you're in school and being open to that. I mean, how do you feel like your, I don't know, your sense of your own approach to film or your goals as a filmmaker, yeah. how do you feel like those change through the process of going to graduate school? Um, really good question. I think if anything, I went from being incredibly naive mm-hmm. about how a great film was made to just really learning to interrogate everything mm-hmm. and being one's own most severe critic because you really you really realize um, how difficult it is to take a two-hour experience or 90-minute experience or whatever and make every minute count to an audience. You know, that means every page of the script has to be strong mm-hmm. for whatever that page is trying to do. That means nearly every image needs to be there for a reason. And I think especially with image, but also with text, I don't think I really understood how vital every moment mm-hmm. of a script or every image of a film was going to count and contribute to the sort of overall feel um, of that film for an audience member. And so the workshop experience of being in a class with 12 other students, having a professor, because I, I should say most of my faculty members were fantastic mm-hmm. and were fair and personable and um, really tried to bring out the best in students. So we would be in these small workshop classes and professors set a good tone by giving very honest feedback that was demanding, but also like generous and mm-hmm. supportive. And so I think those workshops were the place where you really improved your work the most. Mm-hmm. Um, it was almost like having a weekly sort of crit, crit session mm-hmm. uh, where you bring in what you bring in your kind of artistic baby and really have it interrogated and have to defend yourself and have to be open to what other people were drawing from it mm. and learning to get over some of your own um, blind spots really. Mm. Um, and so I think that's what helped me improve the most as an artist and mm-hmm. um, become kind of honest with myself about mm. what I maybe did well, what I needed more work with, um, what sort of things I was maybe scared to do as an artist, what sort of things I was comfortable doing as an artist and learn to be more open to doing those things I was scared of. Hmm. Is there like a particular experience you can maybe, I don't know, identify that distills that growth in the graduate school experience or that just maybe it's important for the graduate school experience generally? Like you remember when you look back on your time as a student in that master's program. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there's a couple. Um, I think one was that I think when I went into the program, I was like very confident that I'd be a good writer and would write scripts that people responded to. And in my first semester course, I ended up not being very happy with what I had written. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to write short film scripts. Mm-hmm. And I think I was still trying to understand the short form as it pertained to a film mm-hmm. and also just getting my sort of sea legs with screenwriting. And so that didn't end up being um, a semester that turned out the way I thought it would. In the second semester, we started writing um, feature scripts for the first time. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been developing a couple things in the fall as features that I don't think were really me, so to speak. Mm -hmm. They weren't really uh, sort of um, indicative of the type of films I really deep down wanted to make. Mm -hmm. And in that second semester, I kind of threw a couple of those ideas out, picked something that was a little bit more bold, and ran with it. And everybody in class responded to it. The Mm -hmm. professor responded to it. I had other professors come up to me and be like, Brendan. I hear you're writing a good script. And and that was great because a couple of these people were kind of standoffish individuals. And yeah. so that felt good. And, and I think it taught me that, you know, 
if you're going to be serious about an art form, you have to be willing to go somewhere a little bit less comfortable. Mm. And in the end, you're going to, that's going to pay off. So that was one experience. And that professor, Catherine Diekman, who I maintained a relationship with, was um, incredibly encouraging and yet also would critique when a critique mm. was needed and would criticize when that was merited. And so that ended up being a, a moment where I think I grew a lot mm. artistically. I think the most terrifying experience, because this is good to sort of <laughs> sure. uh, bring up, um, was that in the summer in between the first and the second year in the program, students had to work with another student's script and direct it. Mm-hmm. And so I directed a friend, uh, a friend's script. And I didn't, you know, I didn't really change it much because that felt awkward to me because mm-hmm. it was really his story and I wanted to respect that. Um, and we, we did some small things to it, but we made the film and... Um, I was not a very accomplished director at that point. And so I don't, I don't think that I really brought out everything in his story that was maybe there. Um, cause there were some real merits with it. Um, I was lucky to work with a couple of really great actors, mm. but anyway, early in the next semester. So the fall of one second year, um, we had to go in front of a group of faculty with a large group of new first year students in the room and and be critiqued have the film the short film critiqued it was called an eight to twelve eight to twelve minute film mm-hmm. i happened to sign up for the first crit session of the week um when this occurred like you know 9 a.m or something on a monday and i therefore had the largest group of first year students um in the room i also had a faculty member who shall go unnamed who was considered the most scathing difficult professor mm. And he was unrelenting in his assault on yeah. my film and the direction of this film. And I just had to stand there and take it mm-hmm. and learn from it and be respectful and be open to what he said, much of which was correct, even if it wasn't said in the way that yeah. I would say it. And, uh, you know, you kind of like left the room and felt like you could breathe again. And you know, days later, some of those first year students came up to me and they said, Brendan, the way you handled that was really cool because you just, (laughs) you didn't buckle under the pressure. And so that was probably the hardest moment. Nothing was more difficult than that. Um, But I also think in a way I grew from, you have to have thick skin in the arts. You're going to get rejected a Mm -hmm. lot. Uh, Actors, uh, painters, Mm -hmm. writers, it's part of the deal. Um, Another terrifying thing that was exciting was showing a film I made on a big screen in a theater for the first time, which was later. That's when I was graduating. Mm -hmm. That was both exciting and terrifying. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, just in the workshops when you would bring in stories that were in some way personal, Mm. kind of opening yourself up to your classmates was always a way to really grow, but it was, you were, you're always vulnerable in that position. And so, there were many moments like that, but overall they ended up in a really positive way. And that was because professors set a good tone and were encouraging. And um, that doesn't mean it wasn't scary. Yeah. You know? But I guess that's part of it, right? You, you learn, as you say, you kind of learn how to confront and manage that fear because that's also wrapped into presenting really any kind of creative project, right? You have, to, right. have to go out there, assume that at least someone, one person's not going to like it and may be willing to tell you they're not going to like it, but understand how to process that in a way which is, effective. Yeah, well, and and hopefully useful. Yeah. You know, just because you don't like the way someone says something, there may be some truth to what they say still. You have to be able to listen to what they're saying. Yeah, and just be honest and with oneself and say, you know what, like maybe if I was in that professor's shoes, I would find a gentler way to approach Mm -hmm. this, but that doesn't take away the point being made. 
Well, then you learn too, like how would you want to phrase that to someone else, right? There's yes. like two things you can learn from that. The message, which as you say can be valuable, but then also if I was in a similar, a reverse situation, how do I want to approach it? Yeah, and that actually, I think that's a good segue into another thing that I guess like helped me grow as an artist. I got to teach a little bit when no, I was a great. grad student, yeah. which was for me really exciting because that's something still down the road I hope to do. So I was a TA at one point. Mm. I was Were these for undergraduate classes? Um two undergraduate and then a first year grad okay. class. So I, I TA'd for an undergraduate film studies course. I taught my own screenwriting section for undergrads, which was of course very fun. Mm. And then I was a mentor semi recitation instructor for a first year grad class that all the new film students did. Mm. And those experiences, when you have to teach a subject, you inherently grow a lot because you have mm. to kind of get out of your own head and, and think how someone else may take in the same information that feels intuitive to you um, or talk to someone about a particular type of film approach that for you feels intuitive, but to another person feels very different from what they would like to do. Um, and so that was a really, um, you know, sort of exciting experience for me to do that um, for a couple years. Um, and to really also, I think, again, like confront your own blind spots, um, be open to, you know, if you're, the person managing a workshop, making sure that it's a safe space, a supportive mm -hmm. space, um, being open to types of artists who may want to do things that are very different from what you would be interested in, mm. and finding a way to be supportive of what they're doing. And you mentioned teaching, also I assume, was something that you were paid for in yeah, some way. Yeah. Was it like a required part of the master's program? Was it something you... you sought out or able to take on as like an optional aspect of your master's program yeah it was it was sought out and um we had to apply to positions mm. and um they were they were paid they weren't paid as well as a doctoral student <laughs> sure. would be paid for the same type of course but they were paid well enough that mm -hmm. right off the bat on that front it was useful to do but mm -hmm. then also obviously the kind of connection with faculty members and the chance to be in front of a classroom alone were good reasons to do it. Mm -hmm. um, I think I naively thought at the time that by doing those, taking on those teaching responsibilities, I was going to be able to sort of translate that into maybe a full-time teaching position in film mm -hmm. after graduating. Mm -hmm. But that's something that, uh, that was an assumption that was kind of not warranted, mm -hmm. um, at least in the New York City area, because mm -hmm. there's so many accomplished filmmakers mm. in the area that those individuals would get the first shot at, at jobs. Yeah. You know, if I wanted to move to Missouri, no offense to Missouri, there might be a full-time um, teaching position available for someone right out of um, mm -hmm. an MFA program. But for me, it didn't translate in that way, mm -hmm. which is fine. Well, that's actually bringing you a kind of good... I'm trying to think. I did want to ask you a little bit too, actually, about the financial aspect of graduate yeah. school because I, I also I want to get to important. employment right after graduate yeah. school, which we're kind of already at. But to make sure we touch on all the things I want to <clears> touch on about graduate school, financially, what was the experience of attending an MFA program? Were you supported by the program in any way to attend? How do you support yourself? Right. Very good question, and I think in many ways the most important question for anyone that wants to get an arts degree. Um, because you're taking a great risk in some ways getting an arts degree, I took out very large and significant student loans mm -hmm. to go to school. Um, to this day, most film schools do not have exceptional funding. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's improved, at least at the school I was at, a little bit since I was there. 
But in general, people, if they don't have the means to pay up front, are taking out large loans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that. I was young. I was naive. I, I maybe thought the salary I would receive after graduation would be higher than what reality has been. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a really quick aside about that, I had met someone the year before I started film school who had a friend that was an editor, a mm-hmm. film editor, like for TV or something mm-hmm. based in New York. And that person, the person I was talking to, quoted like, oh, yeah, that friend of mine's earning 70K for this like pretty good editing job. Mm-hmm. Like you could do that when you finish. And so I kind of took that as gospel. I was yeah. like, well. Or like the baseline. Like yeah, that's where you I'll start. at least yeah. be a film editor making <laughs> 70K when I graduate. So if I take out loans, that's fine. It's a little more complicated than that. And um, I think that for anyone who is going to go into an arts degree, if they have the means to pay for it, you know, that's an opportunity cost they don't need to worry about. Mm. For anyone else, you know, pursue every scholarship opportunity that, that's out there. Mm-hmm. I got some merit aid as I moved on in the program, but it wasn't there to begin with. Um, and then third, especially if it's film, make sure that you get a technical skill. Mm-hmm. out of film school that can be the thing that you get employed doing when you graduate because mm-hmm. um, that can sustain you as you continue to kind of work on your creative mm-hmm. pursuits um, I was someone less technically inclined so I talked to a number of the writing faculty who I was really close to and many of them said well maybe just get a sustainable nine to five job mm-hmm. at an institution that seems like a good place to work and then be disciplined about writing outside of work mm-hmm. And, you know, while I had been in school, I always had a couple part-time jobs going along with the teaching that were university-based jobs. Mm -hmm. So I think my purview of the type of positions out there, to some degree, you know, started and stopped with university jobs. So that's what I looked at primarily when I graduated. And then some cultural institutions, Mm -hmm. which can be much harder to get jobs at. Um, And also a few film curating positions, which are nearly impossible. (laughs) Uh, so I, I looked in these realms and the economy had actually just bottomed out. It was 2008. Oh, okay. Um, because film school was two years of school and then I taught for two extra years and kind oh. of worked on thesis films and had my part-time job. So I was there for four years. Is that, is that kind of typical or is that pretty standard? Yeah. Pretty standard at the kind of the, the big film schools. Yeah. That, Cause I guess that final thesis project could really take as long as you right. wanted to take. Right. So, right. Right. Um, I produced a few thesis films during those two years. I directed one. I wrote a couple feature scripts, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So it was, it was, val- and you weren't paying the same tuition rate. You were paying just sort of like, like a matriculation, regist- matriculation yeah. fee. And then I was getting paid as a professor or as a teacher, I should say. Um, so it was worth doing. But what that meant is I graduated as the economy imploded. Mm-hmm. And so the type of film jobs out there that were full-time that would allow me to also pay off my loans um, really didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so things like working at a university became very attractive. Mm-hmm. And so I was lucky to get a job at NYU December of 2008. Um, I've been here ever since, mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Um, and then another good thing about working at a nonprofit or a university is that you can enter the government's um, federal loan uh, repayment plan. Mm -hmm. So I'm in a special program where I pay, uh, in terms of my loans, less per month, but after 10 years of repayment while working concurrently at NYU or another institution, Mm -hmm. 
the government will pay back what I haven't paid paid mm. off yet. And I won't quote a number, but it's a <laughs> staggering number. So for me, it's a, a very real consideration yeah. as a part of my employment decisions. Um, and I'm only a few years away from finishing that, and that feels great because I also have plenty of film friends. And again, this is, you know, one anyone interested in the arts can take what they want from this. But some of my friends have worked um, have worked uh, sort of part time, job to job in the film world, and that's a way to keep them engaged in the actual medium and in the industry but the problem is those out of that group who also have significant loans have not really paid anything back yeah and that's just paying as little as they possibly that's right and that anxiety is starting to mount being eight nine ten years out of school and not having really made a dent in this really significant amount of money they need to pay back and so my route i guess in some ways is more conservative um but i also think i'll be happy when been able to pay off this kind of looming debt that uh, has circled me for a while. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that, as you say, there's this a series of, I guess, questions that you have to ask yourself when you finish a graduate program, like, what, what is more valuable to me? Right. right. Like, is it pursuing mm-hmm. this field with a kind of, you know, zealous focus, just because right. this is what I want to do, even if there are personal, financial, other kinds of consequences right. as a result of that? Or is it saying, okay, let's figure out how I can fit this into a more sustainable life, even if that sometimes feels conservative or dull or dull or giving up or whatever. Like I remember I had the same experience after finishing graduate school where I was like, I remember having this very kind of like Scarlett O'Hara moment where I was like, I'm never going to be this poor ever again in my life. Right. Like I was like, I I don't care what that means. I just will not stand for this anymore because this is not living a real life. And so you make choices based on that, which is what people just have to do. Yes, and, and that's what graduate school is for most people, what Brendan yeah. just said, feeling very much like you have very little financial wherewithal yeah. and very little flexibility. And if you're doing what you want and studying what you want, it's worth it. Yeah. But for those that maybe are in it for the wrong reasons or feeling some conflict about being in it, it can feel really tough because yeah. then you start to question why you've even made the choice to, to be in the circumstance. Um, yeah. I was going to say, oh, the other thing with film in particular is those who are willing and open to moving to L.A., I think can be, the word wouldn't be careless, but I think there's a bit more flexibility financially because Mm. the type of jobs that exist in L.A. are going to pay better, Mm. and there's more of them. There's a higher volume of industry jobs. cost of living there is not dramatically less expensive, but I've heard it's a little less expensive than it is if you're living in New York City. Yeah, it's a little bit less expensive too. And so if someone has accrued debt, but their ultimate goal was to move to LA, Mm -hmm. they might have a bit more ability to kind of stay in the industry Mm -hmm. and be able to have a decent life Mm -hmm. and also handle their finances. And Mm -hmm. so I think note of caution to anyone who wants to be in New York, stay in New York and accrue debt in an arts program. It's harder here. It doesn't mean it's not worth it. It's just harder. Yeah. That's interesting. There's like a real regional quality. I guess, again, it's an industry, right? Which is located in very particular parts of the country. Right, and 85% of it is probably still in Los Angeles, um, or 80%. So when you were looking at those kind of administrative, the administrative employment opportunities you had while you were at Columbia, or working within the university, not necessarily as a teacher, but in other roles, were you doing that with a conscious view to making opportunities for yourself after expanding your possibilities for employment or was it more just these are available let's do them another good question i would say 
early in the in my career, I was really just looking for, to be frank, the easiest job I could find. So I worked in the library for, I actually, one or another library job I had for four years. Mm. Um, I worked in like the, um, you know, uh, reference desk uh, for a couple years. I worked in the media center, which was great because when things were slower, I could actually watch pieces of media. <laughs> um, and occasionally my boss was uh, curious about that, but also at times supportive as long as the work was getting done. So those those were good jobs to have. But then as I progressed in the program, I realized that these part-time jobs could potentially sort of connect with something beyond um, beyond school. And so I took a job at the journalism school related to book prizes in mm. Latin American journalism, a mm. prize for journalists in Latin America. Part of the world I have an interest in and that became a job that I think helped me move on in my career in positive ways mm. but up until that point some of the things I had done were less connected um, I did an internship at a film production company while I was in school as well um, unpaid that was hard as an unpaid mid-20s person mm. who was older than the assistants I was working under yeah. and felt like in some ways I knew more about the medium than the assistance I was working under. Um, that being said, it was it was really valuable to see sort of like how a film office would work. Um, but I think the unpaid nature of it was tough, given that I was difficult. taking out debt and yeah. left a good job for it, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Which again, is always the kind of exchange too, that do you, so I feel like more often than not, a lot of those professional opportunities will be unpaid because they right. know they have the, the demand right. for those opportunities. Supply yeah. Um, and they, you know, don't necessarily have a huge number of them available to people. So. Right, right. And then kind of when you were first, I guess, applying to positions at NYU, the position you eventually received at NYU or, or started, started at NYU, were they, I don't want to phrase this, were they kind of looking at you more because, oh, you have your administrative responsibility? Like, I guess, what, what was the balance between your academic background, how important was that to them when they were looking at you as a candidate, versus the actual professional experience you had that would make you fit for the role that you were applying to? Um, I would say that in general, they, they probably saw the, especially the job at the journalism school as a plus, mm -hmm. but overall, I think they liked that I had a liberal arts background because mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. a job in the college of arts and science working under the Dean, um, working with kind of arts and humanities faculty recruitment, even though I was not the active recruiter, I was administrative you know, mm -hmm. support to that, um, to that, uh, initiative, um, but I think they liked that I had sort of a broad academic background mm -hmm. and maybe that I had taught. So it made them trust that I sort of understood how universities worked. Mm -hmm. um, so in a way, that is professional experience, the yeah. teaching. Yeah, so it was really just kind of the broader range of experiences you were yeah. able to have that were part of that larger right. MA, uh, MFA. Excuse me. Right, experience right. And it certainly yeah. wasn't the, the literal film component of yeah. the MFA. Yeah. It was things connected to it. They wanted to see the other things that were yeah. more directly related to the position that you were interested in yes. taking. So as you've been in kind of a more nine to five position, we talked about the financial and, and personal benefits of being mm -hmm. in a position like this, the security that it provides. Has it also given you an opportunity to still pursue film work if you've chosen to pursue film work? Like how has that continued to be a part of your overall I don't know, life? Yeah, <laughs> well, post graduate school. I mean, that is the number one question, I guess. Sure. Right. Um, I think overall it has. Um, mm -hmm. I've had to sort of redefine the type of things I would be working on. So I can 
talk about the early years at NYU briefly and then kind of more mm -hmm. recently. When I first started here, I was in a union position where I was really strictly supposed to be nine to five. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I would get out of work and I would have some time to write and read difficult texts and come up with my stories and, um, and yet still go to the gym and still cook dinner mm -hmm. and have time for everything. Um, I had less vacation though. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't able to really think about working on an actual film. Mm -hmm. It was really all writing. Um, and I think I wrote a lot during those years and was productive. Um, over the last five years, I've had a different role, which is non-union and the number of vacation days I have is a, a little bit more robust. And, um, and yet I, the hours can be mm -hmm. more challenging. Um, we have times during the year where we are incredibly busy as Brendan <laughs> knows himself. And, and so I think, you know, over the last five years, my creative engagement has gone up and down based on the time of year. Mm -hmm. You know, there will be a good stretch where I'm able to get a lot of writing done outside of work. And then there will be four to six weeks when it's much harder. And maybe I write five, six times during that whole, you know, group of weeks. Um, and sort of being aware of that and being okay with that and sort of knowing in advance uh, when things are going to be easier when things are going to be more challenging is important. But then, you know, on the other hand, I got to make a short film last summer. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I was able to do that was because I was able to set some vacation days mm -hmm. aside for film production, for casting, for location scouting, for all the things you need to do to get a film made. And at some point in the future, I hope to have that opportunity again. And luckily, I think there can be a time during the year when one could pull that off mm. provided it's the right script and you have the right people around mm. you and you have the finances all big ifs mm -hmm. but um but so that was really exciting mm. and so over the last year i spent a lot of time outside of work uh creative time sort of editing and uh, working on the post-production so it's been possible to make that kind of space for yourself it has it's always a challenge and it always requires discipline um but it's possible mm. yeah um again like you know late August to through September is always going to be a tough moment for us as advisors because mm -hmm. we are helping students return to campus, helping students onboard who are matriculating for the first time. But as long as you know that and you're used to that, one as an artist can know that it's okay to have a bad month creatively. You're yeah. going to have opportunities in the future when you find a bit more time. Interesting. And I... I guess I'm thinking of, you know, potential students who might want to apply to MFA but then look for full-time employment afterwards. Was this ever, like, is there ever, like, do, do you feel like you were having, I guess, open conversations about your about your creative interests with employers, with potential employers? That's something you feel comfortable talking about. Yeah, I think, I think occasionally, and again, I haven't, full disclosure, I haven't interviewed for a job in a long, long time <laughs> since I actually was hired in my current role, but previous to that, I think whenever I did occasionally apply for positions, mm -hmm. um, there would always be this question of like, oh, look, you have this MFA in film. Yeah. How does that fit into your life when it was a position that had nothing to do with film? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would try to find a cogent and efficient way to explain that it was still something that I was working on, mm -hmm. um, but that I also professionally sort of had a different purview for what mm -hmm. I did. And I think overall, people understood that. 
you know, I think like everybody in New York, even if they're not artistically inclined, is doing something else. Yeah, or they have a, a friend of a friend who's yeah. a painter, but you know, is a bike messenger, or yeah. you know, a banker who's uh, a poet on the side. I mean, I don't know if that combination exists, but um, <laughs> maybe it does. That's basically it. I mean, do you have any kind of final words or final pieces of advice you give to students considering an MFA and? I guess in a film specifically, but MFAs generally, based on other people you might know who pursued, who pursued similar degrees. Yeah, sure. Just a couple kind of final words. Um, one of my best friends um, who spent some time in Italy has a tattoo that says, My Rinunciare, um, which means never give up. I mm-hmm. think every artist <laughs> needs to always remember that if they're serious about what they're doing. They've got to keep going. Um wake up every day and find a way to do one creative thing that day, even Mm -hmm. if you can't do 10 creative things. Um, But I think in all seriousness, anyone going into an actual graduate program really has to think about the financial component. Mm -hmm. And they've got to have some plan for how, when they finish, they're going to find a way to pay it off. Mm -hmm. Even if you can't predict the future, you can at least say, well, based on my conversations with different people that have gone this route, here are three or four different types of choices I'll have available to Mm. me and just have a battle plan. And then in film specifically, um, those who have a particular technical skill can develop that while they're in school and use that as a way to actually remain in the industry professionally Mm. as they try to get their own bigger film aspirations off the ground where they're the director. Mm. And so that would be a piece of advice. Great. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today, Brendan. My pleasure, Brendan. My, I'm honored to, to do it. You, people keep hearing us say Brendan and Brendan back yeah, to each other, like we're right. having some kind of weird conversation with ourselves. I promise he's a different person. An art historian and a filmmaker. <laughs> Very practical choices, both. That's right. That's right.